0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Welcome. I want to welcome everybody to church this morning. Where else would you rather be this morning than in Palm Beach County in God's house? I want to welcome anybody that's new that's joined us today, our people that are online. And As I was driving in, I was just thinking what a privilege it is to get to come in God's house and rightly divide this word. I'm just very thankful for that. But um, as we continue in Acts, we've reached a critical point in this book. And it just lined up on me, so it's a big message today as we see in the life of Cornelius. Um, this extension uh, of salvation that, that used to be just for the Jews as God's preparing Cornelius to receive this message from Peter of salvation that it's no longer just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles alike. And why that's relevant to you this morning, because take a look around, we have a bunch of Gentiles. <laughs> so this marks the transition of salvation as God's preparing him to receive this message from Peter of us being allowed to have salvation But it's critical to note that at this time, these people didn't understand that. At the time this message was preached, the Jews were the only ones who were allowed to be saved. They believed they were the only ones allowed to be saved ever. The Gentiles, they were not allowed to be saved. They, They didn't have no recollection. No matter what they did, they could not be saved. And the Jews thought they were so much better than the Gentiles. They literally called them dogs. They referred to them as dogs. There was staunch racism between the two groups. Literally, they would leave when they left the area of the Gentiles. They would dust, a good Jew would dust his feet off because he didn't want anything to do with Gentiles. He wouldn't eat with utensils that were made by Gentiles until they were first cleansed. This racism that that divided, this was a completely new idea for both sides of, of the argument at this time, that salvation is also from the Gentiles. So this is a really big message Uh, It's a powerful message that's blessed me in my studies this week, and I hope it blesses you as well. The title of the sermon this morning is, Who's Waiting? Who's Waiting? And if you'll look with me in Acts chapter 10, we'll start in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, And prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter, who is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from amongst those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay. So we see Cornelius who's praying, and it doesn't specifically say in this text, but it does later in Acts, that he's praying. It's the ninth hour of the day, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon, and he's praying. And this angel comes to him with this message directly from God. And he sees this vision and it, that tells him to send men to get Peter, who's going to bring this message to him. Peter has a message for him. And I don't want to spoil it for next week, but guess what? The message of salvation is salvation is of everyone. That's what the message is. And God's preparing Cornelius to receive this message. So who is Cornelius? Cornelius will eventually, like I just told you, he's going to be the first Gentile that's ever allowed to be saved. He's considered the firstborn of the Gentiles. In verses 1 and 2, it says he was a good man, a godly man. He feared God. He ran his household well. He he gave alms, which means he was very charitable in his giving. He did everything that a, a godly man should do. He was an officer of the Roman army. It says he was a centurion. Okay, So a centurion is a military commander that's over about 100 people. So here he is. He's this military commander, a centurion. And everywhere in the Bible that speaks of centurions within the Bible mostly speaks of them in high regard. I mean, there are over 100 men. So here he is. He's in Caesarea, which is the capital of Judea, which is by the Mediterranean Sea. It's where the Roman governor would have sat. It's where he would have been located. So this is a stronghold for the Roman Empire, which is a critical, they're, they're pagan. They don't believe in God. So it would, it would take a strong centurion to be in this location to, to prevent the Jews and their uprisings. And it would be easy for Cornelius to abuse his power, you know? They think, I'm a dog, I'll show them I'm over 100 men. He never, he never did that. He had good report amongst everybody. He had good re- report against his men. Nobody would have said anything bad about Cornelius. So here he is in Caesarea, this centurion, this just man of good report. And one would say, hey, don't you think he deserves a place in heaven? The overwhelming fact that we see in this text is no. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. So as we we go into verse 3, we see this angel. Like I said, this angel appears to him. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's praying, and this angel appears to him. And we have to ask ourselves what, what is an angel? You know, a lot of times, we as Christians, we say, man, I can't wait till I get my wings one day. I hate to tell you, you ain't going to get any wings. (laughs) There's no wings for you in heaven. But but an angel's function is to bring a message from God. Angels are often seen in the Bible as messengers from God. And that's what we see here. People do not become angels. In fact, when you get to heaven, you are going to be in a higher status than the angels because they've always been with God. They've never had to come down here in a fallen world and deal with sin and deal with the things that we deal with. So that is what we see here. This angel coming, doing what most of the time that they do, which is bring message directly from God. We've seen it in the past. We've seen angels come to Joseph and Mary separately. And we see in the same text here, he comes to Cornelius in the third hour, I mean the ninth hour of the day, which is three o'clock. And he, he addresses them by name. He says, Cornelius, God knows your name this morning. You're not insignificant to God. He knows your name. And because he called Cornelius by name, Cornelius knew that the message was from God. So as we look into verse verse 4, you have to ask yourself, does God hear the prayers of those who are not his? Here, we have this scene of this majestic angel appearing to Cornelius, calling him by name, And the first thing he does, I mean, as any of us would do, if an angel popped down and called us by name, he's fearful. He's fearful. I would be shocked if an angel came down and called me by name. He's fearful. And the first thing he does when he thinks about his life in light of God, which proves his reverence for God, he says, What is it, Lord? What have I done? What is the matter? What have I done? And the angel tells him clearly in verse 4, he says, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So does God hear the prayers of the sinners? Absolutely. His prayers have ascended into heaven as a memorial before God. We know that God hears the prayers of those that are not him for the salvation prayer. He hears our prayers this morning. So Then I want you to look at verse 5. Notice how God directs Cornelius to Peter. God almost always uses human followers of Jesus to lead other people to himself. I mean, my first question as I read this text, I was like, why didn't the angel just tell him? <laughs> Ministry would be so much easier if angels just popped up and just said, hey, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. I got a place prepared for you in heaven. It'd be so much easier if that was the case. Why didn't the angel just tell him? Because God didn't choose it to be that way. The angel is, is just a messenger who was sending Cornelius to Peter who was going to deliver him this message tell you, ministry would be much different if that's how conver- conversion worked. But God almost always uses human followers to lead others to himself. So what is the significance of Cornelius sending his men to get Peter? So where is Peter? Peter is in Joppa, which is another uh, coastal town uh, against the Mediterranean Sea. So he sends them over there and he's a centurion, you know. He could have sent his men to do anything he wanted them to do. But because God sent this angel, he prepared Cornelius, who would have never sent his man to to retrieve this Jew. But he did. God prepared Cornelius to receive this message. And immediately, what did he do when he got the message from God? He sent his man. He never would have done this without divine intervention from the Lord. He never would have done it. Why would he have done it? They called him dogs. He was a Gentile. He was a Jew. The racial barriers that existed. But God's intervention... And in fact, another thing is, he was in touch with God. He was praying when this message came to him. That's a good thing to note. God came to him when he was praying and sent this message to him. So, as we see, he was in touch with God and able to receive the message that God intended for him. And once he received it, it says, he sent immediately for Peter. He sent for him to Joppa. He sent his two, two guys and a devout soldier. These two guys that was with him, those were his servants, all of whom feared God. It's a different sermon for a different day, but I think it's interesting to see this this God-fearing centurion over a hundred men was surrounded by other God-fearing men. I had an old ball coach told me when I was playing ball in my younger days, he said, Jimmy, you can't hoot with the owls and expect to soar with the eagles. (laughs) I would come to practice, I mean, I would come to practice, been up all night. He said, Jimmy, you can't hoot with the owls and soar with the eagles. You need to pick one. That's another sermon for another day, but You can see as he sent his devout men that he was surrounded himself with, this man of great stature who had great report, was surrounded by other God-fearing men. So as we see, he sends them to Joppa to retrieve Peter, right? Peter is staying with this tanner. Peter, this Jewish rabbi, is staying with the tanner. And the significance of that is a tanner is someone who tans hides, right? They tan hides and they make clothing out of it, of dead animals. Um, Jewish law at this time in Leviticus it said, "Hey, these people are unclean. If you deal with these animals, you are unclean." So, the rabbi Peter was already breaking the mold as he was staying with these people because he was breaking the law. He was already foreshadowing the fact that salvation was going to be for the Jew and the Gentiles. So he he's staying with this tanner, and it's just awesome that we see that that, that the new church is both Jew and Greek, and he was foreshadowing this new church that is something completely different. Than traditional Judea's culture, it's a new thing. I love that song we sing, it's a new thing. This is a new thing. Take a look around. This is a diverse room. This is what heaven's going to be like. People from all over the world, different nationalities, coming under one new covenant church, accepting Jesus. This is the new thing. And it's critical that we understand that. And As we look at this text this morning, we went through the verses line by line. I explained to you what's going on. How do, I, how do I apply this to my life? Honestly, I know that it oftentimes it seems like no one is responding to the gospel. As a Christian, I often feel like an outcast. I feel like nobody's listening. I feel like nobody's listening to me when I preach sometimes. I feel like, what am I doing this for, God? I'm not seeing the results that you're saying. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm rightly dividing, but I'm not seeing it, God. Especially here in South Florida. But the truth is, and this story reminds me, that God's preparing the fields for the harvest. He was preparing Cornelius to receive this message. God is preparing the fields for the harvest. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. I mean, do you think that we all got here by accident this morning? God knew you'd be here this morning. He was preparing you to be here. He's calling someone under the sound of my voice to himself, even this day. He's actively preparing people to receive this message. It's not just on us. He, we're just a part of it. And it's such a grateful thing that we get to be a part of it. So from that, I just want you to know that you're not alone in the process. And this new church is not just another sect of Judaism. You're not inherited in Christ because you have a birthright or because you can never earn it. You're inherited in Christ because he freely died and he offers you this free gift through his son Jesus Christ this morning. And that brings me to my first point that I see in this story. Good is not good enough. Good is not good enough. We see this man in Cornelius who did everything he thought to be right with God. He had a good report with everyone. I mean, he prayed. He ran his household well. He did all the things that he thought to be right with God. He was religious. He feared God. He did all the right things. But apart from this angel appearing to him, sending him to receive this message from Peter, there was no hope for him. No matter how good he was. I'm telling you this morning, I want to make something very, very clear. As I stand here and preach to you guys this morning, you can't earn this. This isn't something you can afford to miss this morning. Good is not good enough. It's not a weighted scale. It's not a weighted scale. Ten good things get me in. Nine bad things. That's not how it works. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Shall enter the kingdom of heaven? but He who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In that day, there's churches all the way on the way home that don't believe in Jesus Christ. I see them. I see these churches that that preach uh, a works-based salvation where you can earn this. Or it's a birthright. And I'm telling you, they may be the best people worldly that you've ever seen. They may give more money than anybody. They may love everybody. But if you don't have Jesus, you ain't getting in. That's fundamental truth this morning that you can't miss. And we see it in John 14, 16. He makes that way so narrow that you can't miss it. Jesus said to him, I am the way. The truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. You could take the out and say, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That road is extremely narrow, and you can't miss it because it's the only path. And the truth is, folks, we have to accept that, and we see that the world without Jesus, there is no salvation. Just think of these many works-based salvations and these other religions that preach otherwise. How disappointed they're going to be when they get there. And they see that they had it all wrong all along. It's a free gift offered to the Jews and the Gentiles alike through God's Son, Jesus Christ, this day. And as we think of that, and we think of these many religions that teach otherwise. The many people in our immediate circles who don't believe this fundamental truth, that begs the question, who's waiting on you to tell them about Jesus? We see in the story of Cornelius that God was preparing people to receive this message. He was preparing them to receive this message. He never would have sent for, for help. He never would have done these things. He never would have sent anybody to get Peter. He, he was doing all that he knew to do. But he still needed Jesus. Folks, people are waiting. People are waiting for this knowledge. I mean, my mom used to tell me before I come home, the last thing she would tell me, she'd say, son, be home by 11 o'clock. When I went out, that's the last thing she said, buddy, I remembered it. I said, be home by 11 o'clock. As Jesus was ascending into heaven, this is the last thing that he told his disciples. Don't you think it's critical that we listen to the last thing that Jesus said while he was on earth? Matthew. 28 18 through 20 and Jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded with you commanded you and behold I'm always with you to the end of the age that's the last thing he said as he was rising up to heaven he's called us to go out and make disciples He's called us to go and tell people about Jesus. We get to be a part of this process. On the way over here this morning, I, just, I was like almost in tears because I get to get up here and I get to take God's word. Somebody so worthless, somebody so far from God that he would rescue me, not only rescue me, but allow me to help others see that he is the truth. It's such an honor that we get to be a part of this process of spreading the good news. It's amazing that we have the opportunity to serve in this capacity. And I could talk about how amazing it is, but with that amazingness comes responsibility. There's a responsibility to this. And not only that, there's an urgency that I don't see anymore from the Christian church. We have to have a sense of urgency. Because this is a life and death matter. This is critical that people that are dying every day, we see them every day dying without Christ. This is urgent. This is important. That's why I'm here this morning, because the need is so critical. The truth is that people are dying every day without Jesus. It's time for us as Christians, the people God has chosen and set aside for his own glory, to go and spread his name to all the nations. God called us to do it. Go and make disciples of every tongue, tribe, and nation. People are waiting. I don't want to acknowledge the problem anymore. I don't want to talk about the problems anymore. We know what the problems are. I want to be a part of the solution. I mean, have you ever thought about how many people there are today that are in hell? And as I think of that, I say, well, there's no hope for them. That's better, yeah, let's focus on how many people today are heading there. And as we consider that, just for a moment, I'm a numbers guy. I'm fixing to graduate next month with an MBA in data analytics. I do Engineering. I'm a numbers guy. I can see it with a number. Sometimes numbers are deceiving. So, what I want to do is I want to paint a picture with numbers and then I want to put faces to those numbers because when we see how critical the problem is, we can do something about it. So, in 2020, there were 7.8 billion people worldwide. Of that 7.8 billion, 2.4 billion claim to be Christians. That means 5.4 billion. Let's just assume. All of these, we know some of those are not. But let's just assume everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. That leaves us with 5.4 billion non-Christians. You say, wow, that's a big number. You could go out of here and you'd repeat that number to someone else. I want you to do that. I want you to see that number for what it really is. And that's not a number. Those are people. So standing here today at our church, it's about 60 miles to Miami International Airport from here. We lined up, heel to toe, in a line from here to there. How many people would be in that line? 60 miles. There'd be 316,800 people in that line. We could easily go and get on I-95 and drive that way and see all those people and say, wow, that's a problem. Look at all these people. But that's nothing in comparison to the amount of people that really don't believe in God. Let's apply that same logic to five point four billion that have no hope of ever being reconciled to God apart from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I didn't say that, he said it. In red writing, Jesus said that. He said in Matthew seven, thirteen and fourteen, he said, Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many go down that path. So as we see that, we apply that same logic. How many people would it be if we lined up 5.4 billion? How many people would it be if this line that leads to destruction, these people that we see, 5.4 billion people, if they lined up in a line and they, they stood straight in a line, the world is approximately 25,000 miles circumference of the world. If these people that stood in this line that leads to destruction were standing there They would wrap the world, not one time, not 10 times, not 20 times, 41 times. These people standing in a line, going the wrong way. Folks, this is the number one problem of the world. We get so involved in philanthropy and things, and they're good things, but this is the number one problem of the world. People's eternity is the number one problem of the world. 41 times these people would be standing in a line. I want you to think about that. These, a lot of these people are good people. They're friends. They're family members. They're colleagues. They're children. It's not just a number. These are people. They need help whether they realize it or not. God has revealed it to us in truth, and the world needs to know the truth, and, it's, and you have it. He's entrusted you with it. He showed himself to you this morning if you claim to be a Christian. So what are you doing with that truth? We see it's a problem. We see these people are waiting. No longer can we stay in the walls of this church and just have church on Sunday. We got to go out and be the light that the world needs to see. God's called us to be the salt of the earth. If you were standing on that road, wouldn't you want somebody to tell you I don't want you to get overwhelmed by the scale of this. You're not alone in this process as we see in the life of Cornelius as God is drawing some to himself. But no longer as we as Christians can sit back and do nothing. We can't just say it's a problem anymore. We got to do something about it. And as the mission of this church this year has been to engage our world, let that not be a mantra for what we put on a PowerPoint presentation. Let that not be something that we promote all over the world if we ain't going to practice it. I want you to go out this week. I want you to put it into action. I want you to pray for somebody. You don't even got to tell them you're doing it, but pray for somebody. I want you to avoid the distractions. We're such a distracted nation now with our phones and all the other things. I want you to put that down. and I want you to pick this up. I want you to pick this back up. Let's not just say it anymore, write it on the wall. Let's put it into practice and ask God for guidance. Pray to God this week. Say, God, bring me somebody that needs to know you. Use me to witness to others. Because God is preparing people to receive this message. Don't be overwhelmed by the magnitude of this situation. We just need to start with one. There was an old wise man. And uh, he would go to the beach. And he would read books. This very intelligent guy. He'd go to the beach and read books. And one day he was out there. He was reading. And as he was reading, he saw in the distance this shadow And the shadow was doing like this, and he thought the shadow was dancing. Man, what is that? What's going on? So as he started walking down the beach, he sees this, and he sees the guy, and actually he's a young man, and he's not dancing. He's walking down the beach, and he's picking up these starfish, and he's throwing them back into the ocean, one by one. There's thousands of them lined up, and this old man goes to him, and he says, man, what are you doing? The young man looks at him, he said, the tide's running out. And if I don't do this, they're going to die. And the old man looked at the young man and he said, look how many there are. There's no way what you're doing matters. And the young man picked up the starfish and he put it in his face and he said, it matters to this one. And he threw it back in the ocean. It matters to that one. I want you to start with one this week. I want you to pray for somebody. I want one more person in this building next week because you shared the gospel with them. God's calling people to himself even unto today. He just needs you to share that gospel this week. Share it with one person. Go out of your way and be intentional to engage your world this week. And as the worship team comes, they make their way to the stage. As we have seen in the life of Cornelius, God's preparing people to receive this message. Maybe he's calling you this morning to do the same. Maybe he's drawing you to himself this morning. If that's the case, don't let another day pass by where you let this go over the wayside. Deal with this today. If you need to accept Jesus today, if you need Christ today, if you want to make a decision today, if you need prayer, if it's your first time here, I'll be at the white tent after church. I would love to pray with you. I would love to answer your questions. I would love to share Jesus with you. Don't let another day pass by. Let today be the day that you accept Jesus and get on that narrow road that leads to life.